we should be yes, we, we should be in good shape. Wonderful, or at least not bad shape. Yeah. So, so, so with all the post production, you can make me sound like I belong on the radio. Oh or something? yeah, that's easy. You already have a radio voice, man. <laughs> yeah. I have a radio face. It's very easy to get that mis- misinterpreted. I do it all the time. That's what mom. That's what mom always used to tell me. Like, son, I love you, but you got a face for radio, and I'm like, awesome. Thanks, Bob. And when I, you're a kid, I, you're like, oh, thanks, mom. I didn't know that. I'm gonna get into radio. I have a face for it. Exactly. Exactly. So those backhanded compliments, you know. It's Sunday, March 27th, 2016, and you're listening to episode 40 of Roll Up and Die. Inquisition. Our chief weapon is surprise. Surprise and fear. Fear and surprise are two weapons. Our fear and surprise and ruthless efficiency are three weapons. Our fear and surprise and ruthless efficiency and an almost fanatical devotion to the Pope are four. No. Amongst our weaponry are such elements as fear. I'll come in again. I have a record. Uh, yes, I have a recording That's studio amazing. in my home. We uh, we have a two. What's up? Hmm? Oh, I just said wow. That's amazing. Oh, I thought. Oh, sorry. I thought Alex said uh, no. something like, "Well, I have an entire yurt to myself," <laughs> which I oh, would. Oh, that would agree. be lovely. I don't though. I, I have. To, I, Yurts I, are highly underrated as wonderfully comfortable places to be. <laughs> I honestly, that's like one of our dreams. My wife and I. One of our dreams is to just seriously get a yurt next to Alex's house, next to Alex's <laughs> yurt. And by my wife and I, I mean me, really. You just, you know, you could always go she, to the, she, like, beautiful outer steps of Mongolia she can't hear you, can't a yurt there. <laughs> yeah, we could, we could move to Mongolia, but Maine just seems closer. I'm not sure why. A little bit, a little bit. A little bit closer than Mongolia. Yeah. But, yeah, no, we have a two-car garage that we converted uh, into a recording studio, which uh, you guys can see, but the yeah. the... Listeners can't, but we have a, my wife is huge on resale value. So we have, you know, an eight by eight, uh, dead recording booth. We have, Mm -hmm. um, a whole space for recording guitars. And then this is my space for where I just sit and do editing and post-production and stuff. Nice. And, um, we have, but we still have the garage door light and chain (laughs) stretching across (laughs) the ceiling. Uh, just you never know when we're gonna want to sell the house uh, to people who don't want a recording studio. That's legit. Yeah. 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 So yeah, but it's fun. But uh, yeah. So um, <laughs> banter topic. Anybody? <laughs> oh, right, right. Banter, banter. What are we bantering? This about? is what we do, Alex. We're professionals. This is episode forty. That's right. We're up to forty now. That's exciting. God, we're ju- we're about wow. to buy a plane ticket to Reno and and leave our spouse because that's what you do at forty, right? Yeah, we're gonna get uh, get get drunk, forget what happened, and uh, wake up in some kind of Mexican prison. At least that's my goal. Some kind of <laughs> that's, well, that's on the bucket list. <clears throat> well, yeah, you gotta have that. How about this? How about let's let's do this 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 banter topic. What did you guys do today? How was your day? Oh. Okay, you you breathe, Alex. You breathe like, oh man, I executed so many people today. It really, it really took a lot out of me. I <sighs> no, actually, today was uh, uh, pretty mundane. I uh, 
doing a lot of computer work during the day. Uh, managed to get the kids to go outside for more than uh, 10 minutes at a time. And uh, uh, split wood to keep the house warm. Things like that. That's the nice. that's one of the the, uh, the trade-offs of living in a living in a yurt. You know, cutting your own wood and heating it that way. That sort of thing. Things on the bottom layer of Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Yeah, pretty much. Chop wood, carry water. Yeah, literally. Carry water. Eat food. What about you, Mike? Um, actually, I did almost the same thing, except with a lot of brick. Cutting a lot of brick. Uh, hating the fact that I was cutting brick, especially in the rain. Um, what I dislike is operating 220-volt power tools in the rain. Oh, gosh. Go figure. Um, you know, I mean, one would think that electricity and water mesh because they flow so well with each other. Yeah. Um, but, you know, surprisingly, not not so much. I work in a plant, sorry, uh, I work in a plant, uh, a mortar plant, uh-huh. and we supply uh, basically pre-mixed mortar to all the different bricklaying companies oh, okay. in the Lower Mainland in British Columbia, Canada. Mm-hmm. So this way, they don't have to worry about the environmental hazards and everything else because we take care of all that for them. Uh, we have, you know, an envi- we have environmental tickets and everything else, and we create the mortar, mm-hmm. put it into uh, recycled uh, chemical tubs, plastic chemical tubs, with engineered handles, and then you can just pick it up with a forklift and on your way. Uh, the only problem is that it's very dusty. It's very yeah. well. We live basically just above uh, Washington State, so we get the same amount of rain, if not more rain. Yep. Yeah, yeah. And uh, rain's rain's not fun. Rain is really not fun. I love the rain, but I don't ever have to operate electrical machinery in it, <laughs> and I feel like that changes the game. It really does. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It yeah. It it becomes significantly less fun. Um, also, but the funny part was I kind of wished it, it had rained the day before because I accidentally lit myself on fire the day before. Oh. So I was kind of hoping that it would have rained then, but unfortunately it did not. And I melted part of my boot and, you know, let me tell you something. Hardened ballistic rubber can still melt. Oh yeah. Yeah. Who knew? A ballistic. Yeah. You know, Apparently yeah, flamethrowers are not ballistic. Uh, the, that's the funny part is I was cutting, uh, I was cutting rebar. I was mm-hmm. cutting... Basically, rebar that's about as thick as a, as a log. So say, let's say about, you know, two to three feet with, with basically a chainsaw that is made to cut through steel. <laughs> oh well, I was cutting away, cutting away, cutting away and having a grand old time, you know, smoking like crazy. And all of a sudden, I looked down and all the sparks that I had cut down had lit my, my pants on fire. And I'm like, not again. Because <laughs> this was the second time. This was, it was actually the second time in about in about a month that this had happened. So I'd, I'd felt very very foolish. So after stamping myself out and lighting a cigarette, I just repositioned my legs and just carried on. And that kids is why blacksmiths wear those long uh, leather uh, leather aprons. There you go. There you go. The more you know, and then we just, we just just add that. But I think you know. Either way, it is now completely arguable that we have. Uh, the manliest guest that we've ever had on the on an episode of Roll Up and Die, your definitive RPG podcast. Thank you very much for listening. My name is Barker, and my name is. Oh, Alex. we don't have Matt here. You have. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> Sorry I interrupted I you. We don't have Matt here. Alex, take it. <laughs> All right, and my name is Alex, aka Captain Gothnock. And my name is Mike, and I am known as Mike the Piper, or that idiot that keeps lighting himself on fire. <laughs> just just to his friends, though. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. You know. It's an honorary title. 
Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's like yeah. it's a badge of honor, I think. I've, I've honestly, I've never been lit on fire, and part of me is thinking, man, I can't tell people I've been lit on fire, and that sucks. <laughs> See, but the. And you know what? Being lit on fire, yeah, you know, that is something that happens. But lighting yourself on fire, you know, that's not really, it's not something <laughs> well, you, you really want to advertise, be proud of. Well, those that's something you withhold from the story. Basically, uh-huh. you throw like a small child in there that needs rescuing, perhaps a burning building, a burning tree. And that's how you get lit on fire, rescuing this small child. Um, and I don't know where to go from there in the lie. <laughs> Right. That well, is the problem with I mean, those lies see, like that, yeah. True, <laughs> yeah. and seeing as how this is being broadcast all around the world through the magic of the internet, uh, I think kind of the jig is up. So I, I really don't think, you know, I apparently oh, say, yeah, I was I was saving an orphanage from a, from an ancient red dragon, um, and, you know, <laughs> lit, lit my pants on fire. It's just one of those things, you know. I'm, those, I'm telling those you, Mike. My- Yep. Those what? Those West what? You see those those Pacific Coast Red Dragons, man. They are just a pain. Like not only not only do they light you on fire, but they make you feel bad for it because they wear the plaid and they got the tight pants and the and the lumberjack beards and you know, That's right. you know, it's like, hey man, I was lighting things on fire before fire was cool. You know, like, they got the flannel. <laughs> oh, yeah. You basically just described Matt to the T <laughs> yesterday when we were doing a live broadcast. Matt came on. With his glasses looking like a lumberjack. He looked like he was going to cut down an entire forest himself. And then and then he switched sides on the camera. And then the way the light hit him, he immediately went from lumberjack to hipster. And then he was talking about how he was going to buy a typewriter and go to Starbucks and start typing on it and just wait for people to ask him what he was writing about so we could tell him. Uh, don't even have any paper in the typewriter. Just start, just start hammering on the keys. Oh, no. God, you don't need paper in the typewriter. That's just that's that's a waste. And he and he believes in recycling. Oh, uh, so, there you go. Like like the kids today would even know what that is. Like, what's that strange machine you're you're hitting? It looks like a keyboard, but it's really noisy. Yeah. <laughs> oh, but you it know, can't I, it can't be old. There's a hashtag on it. Look. <laughs> <laughs> hashtag. You no mean kids, a number sign? You stupid ass kid. You can you email from this? Oh god! I want to text my friend. How do I connect this to the internet? <laughs> yeah, here, here, just plug in this two twenty line and touch that. Oh my metal gosh, it's part. not even. It's not even plugged oh, in. How do I charge it? <laughs> no, the uh, actually, it's interesting. I have a nineteen thirty eight Underwood typewriter. That's the oh, same wow. type of typewriter mm. that my grandfather uh, learned how to type on. And basically, I'm saying to the world, I'm a total hipster. But I love that crap, man. Like when I'm typing on a typewriter and you can't delete anything, it's just things things change, yeah. man. <laughs> Your you, life changes. You have to really think about it. I, I wrote up my first character sheet on a mechanical typewriter. Oh I, wow! I, I, cool. I still I, Do I still have your first character. Yeah, I still have it somewhere actually. That's Ooh. awesome. Awesome. Well, uh, listeners, one of the reasons, actually, I think the primary reason that we were thinking, hey, let's get Mike Lasham on this episode is that this episode is about, uh, since we didn't uh, solidify this episode with a, a wonderful segue, uh, it's about uh, using history, real-world history, to inspire your tabletop role-playing gaming experience. <clears throat> yes. And, Mike, I would like you, if you could, tell us, uh, tell the people, 
a little bit about your own homebrew world that you're running online games in that uh, I know a lot of people, including myself, have become a little attached to it. That it's it's uh, unique. People know it, and I've actually been able to play a game in it. So tell us about it and, and what inspired it. Certainly. Uh my uh, my homebrew world, or at least the the setting that I play in, or the or run games in, is our, it's called the Ironhead Chronicles, and it's essentially a it's a five E setting, but set in around the nineteen twenties. So it is uh, modern or slightly more modern era technology, and uh, it is basically post Great War, so very much like a, a World War One uh, has just mm-hmm. finished, uh, troops are coming home, and they come home to find that magic, all arcane forms of magic, are now prohibited. There's been a prohibition on magic, and they're clamping down. And the reason being is that so much magic was used during this Great War that it basically, it's much like a scorched earth, it has mm-hmm. decimated and actually killed part of the world and it's basically so basically coming back to that you know these soldiers who have known a lot of them because this war has gone on for you know over a hundred years a lot of them come back only knowing war and now to know peace you know it, i'd like you know i like to do it to give players an opportunity to kind of explore <clears throat> that to mm-hmm. kind of you know see you know you're just coming home from something so horrific you know how do you readjust how do you how do you, um, you know, come back into society, and now everything certainly is different. You know, mm-hmm. uh, cars and neon lights and and you know and and speakeasies and jazz and all these different things where, you know, before, uh, you know, you had bards and and taverns and ale and mead and you know people lived a simpler life. Mm. Um, you know, there was the code of the warrior, where you know people fought with 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 sword and shield. But now you can put a gun in the hands of anyone, and they become very deadly. Mm. You know, so yeah. it's it's kind of like um, a mix of cultures. Yeah. I see, real, and that. that really cool. Yeah, man, and, and that to me, you know, first of all, World War One. I, I don't even know if we've talked about it in this podcast, but that's my favorite thing to study is the mm. Great War. It's just, I mean, there are, let's hypothetically say the Great War didn't happen. You know, mm-hmm. we're not here talking to each other today. The entire world is vastly different. Yeah. There's no, there's probably not like a 9-11, you know. Yeah. I mean, just the the Cold War is, you know, uh, creates this situation in the Middle East today. And the Cold War happens because of World War II and World War II happens because of World War One. It's just, it's amazing. And the fact that, Mike, that you were able to wrap it up into your RPG in a way that makes it feel like, and this is, you know, from watching your games online, from playing in in a game, it makes it really, really feel like a, uh, a, a perfect hybrid of fantasy meets great war technology. Mm-hmm. And, and where did you get the idea to do that? Uh, one of the, I, uh, I used to be a soldier. I was a soldier in the Canadian armed forces for about 15 years. And uh, after I left, you know, a lot of it, I still thought of um, places like like my regiment that had gone to fight 
over in World War One, and a lot of the stories that passed down, like a lot of these oral traditions and even histories that have been written about you know members of my unit that have gone to fight overseas in World War One and other regiments that have fought there in all the different battles, and it's like mm-hmm. and just to listen to the valor and the the just the desperation of of what these men went through, yeah, and then to stop and then just to come come back. And I think one of the biggest sources of inspiration I ever got was uh, about it was, I, and I always remember this, is one day I was, we were cleaning out my regiment's museum and uh, people were looking, you know, we were just looking and, and cataloging, taking items out. And I, I actually got to hold in my hand a communicate message uh, done, on, done in Morse, Morse code. And it actually was the order to cease fire written on the battlefield in 1919 oh my god that the final oh guns god. had stopped and there was even blood spatter on the actual <laughs> communiques the man i guess had run from trench to trench telling people to cease fire on at 11 o'clock on the 11th of november in 1918 it was beautiful i was just like holding this it was so humbling that uh i always remember that and i said you know i wanted to tell that story something just like mm-hmm. that but oh just, my gosh, man. Know, yeah, it was it was like I said, it was just a very amazing experience. I got chills. That is amazing. Yeah. Um <laughs> awesome. I mean, that 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 that's a, I I don't know. Personally, you know, I've I've had a a US Marine in my family since 1917 and I'm you know, I I'm not a Marine myself, but I still have family members who, you know, are in the armed forces and it's it's this interesting perspective uh, soldiers coming home and, and, and having it be, okay, well now it's okay. You know, now, now you're back. So everything's fine and it's over. Right. So, but, and the, the ability to, you know, without getting too, uh, serious on roll up and die, which, uh, would, I guess would be fine, but, um, is, you know, to that, that is inspiring on multiple different levels. And, and I'm a, a big, fan and Alex I want to hear your opinions on this I'm I'm I really like being able to reach into really dark places uh inside me inside uh uh earth like the the earth's history Mm. and pull things out and put them into RPGs and I'm going to sound like a a huge pretentious douchebag here but I like to do it because I like to profess some sort of lesson like in a game sometimes by by taking uh, some sort of tragic event that happened in my life and putting it in this game to see how other people deal mm. with it, to see if, if that's a, a good example. Have you ever done that, Alex, like in your own personal life, uh, taken something that's happened to you and used it as inspiration in the game? Oh, definitely. I think I, 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 I've always seen role-playing games as an opportunity to... Um, well, to, if 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 not to teach, certainly to express. You know, I mean that that's really what's about. You're expressing your uh, your feelings about the world, and you know, especially if you're more uh, interested in what's going on in the world and around you, and then then yeah, that's that's certainly going to manifest more. Um, even in my world design, I try to you know bring in aspects of things that are important to me. Um, uh, so yeah, I, th- I think I think it's I think that's very important. Um, one interesting point that that 
uh, Mike made me kind of think of was that, you know, when, when, when kind of accessing history for your ideas to bring into your role-playing games, I think it's, it's, um, when, tr- when trying to think about it and choose it, it you really want to go with what you're passionate about. You know, you want to go with what, you know, has meaning for you. Cause obviously this has a lot of, de- you know, deep meaning for him. And so, you know, it's, it's a lot easier to tap into that and, and, uh, and, you know, bring it to the players. Yeah. And, you know, people say, you know, if you're running a game, you should run what you know. Yeah. You know, yeah. uh, w- whether that's the environment you live in or grew up in, um, because you, it's so easy to improvise in a way like that. So, um, oh, that's awesome. Any, anyway, you should absolutely check out Mike's, uh, uh, games that he runs on his channel. Yeah, definitely. Mike the Piper. Is there a second Mike the Piper out there? Uh, no, what had actually happened was that when I first got into YouTube, I used my Hotmail uh, account address, or my, at least my name for that, mm. and I thought to myself, if I ever actually wanted to have a, a, a real channel and upload videos, I gotta change it, and uh, I was given the name Mike the Piper in the military, and I thought, hey, you know what, I'm going with it. Um, I worked awesome. summer in Ottawa, and in the military, the big thing is everyone speaks using their last names. And I refused because I was, at that point, bitter and jaded, as, you know, you are when you become a soldier. <laughs> and uh, and essentially, I just said, no, you know what, my name's Mike, but what's your last name? Like, you know, cause it, and th- that was the weirdest thing when you, when you uh, speak, sometimes speak to soldiers who just don't click. They can't turn it off. It's, it's always on. It's, and, and you say to yourself, no, man, it's cool. I'm just, I'm just Mike. Oh, so you're like Mike the Piper? I'm like... Yes, that's it right there. And then after that, after that, I was just known as Mike the Piper pretty much by everybody. And I just said, like, you know what? I'm going with this. I'm going to roll with this. I like it. Awesome. And uh, yeah, I just never looked back from there. Well, I, I highly encourage the people who are listening to check out your YouTube channel. Uh, if I mean, if only just for the games that you run there are really awesome to watch, really inspirational to see, mm-hmm. and to see your world. Um, uh, and when, when I... Uh, you know, when I'm when I'm listening to you guys, I'm thinking, how do you do something like that? Like bring in real world history, if we're getting to the topic at hand, take something that happened real world, put it into your RPG without the players around your table saying, oh, th- oh, that's Genghis Khan or, oh, that's, uh, you know, that's World War One, something like that. Because, you know, in in Mike's case, you know, everybody knows it's the Great War. Yeah. You know, that, yeah. That's kind of like, that's the whole point of it. It's, it's, but yeah, let's it's, say it's I direct. wanted... Yeah. yeah, yeah, like, yeah, it's a direct boom. Like, everyone, everyone, yeah. this is, there's no secret here. <laughs> but let's say I wanted to give my world a flavor of, you know, I, I wanted to introduce an invading force of horse archers. How do I do that with people not thinking, oh, those are Mongols? Hmm. I think for me, it, I was really. I, well, I, I was going to say, I think, I think for me, it's it's about getting, um, not focusing on the, uh, the trappings of the culture that you're trying to, uh, uh, you know, tap into, but you know, what what was their, you know, start start with the basics. What was their purpose? You know, how did they start? Why why are they doing what they do? Because all all the trappings are are you know kind of extra, you know. Uh, does does it matter whether these bows or spears? Not really. I mean, they do, do they uh, 
they could be wielding atlatls or you know uh or slings or something like that it doesn't really matter the point is the point isn't what they were wielding or what they were wearing or whether they wore you know furry hats but you know the point is um what 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 drove them to to take the actions they did yeah for sure so th- maybe some of the small stuff definitely uh i think a lot of it and i i fully fully agree with alex that um culture plays a a massive part in determining uh different groups different entities in your world uh one thing that i like to do is i like to go back into into history and look at some of these ancient civilizations um you know you look at places like uh, ur on the mm. chaldees you know one of yeah. the cradles of civilization or the phoenicians and and the phoenicians i mean were amazing because they were they and again it's there's a lot of controversy about their history mm-hmm. because very little records are shown yeah but it's it's amazing they were a huge seafaring uh, yeah. civilization of people based on where they are so let's say you take these these horse archers well you know think let's think of the geography where do they live you know maybe they live on near like massive massive cliffs like almost a thousand foot high cliffs and they actually live on the cliffs in some sort of like a a a wooden or stone like fortress that that is just mounted to the side of this cliff Mm -hmm. and instead of of being horse arches they're they're mounted wyvern riders and they they wield javelins and they've perfected because they've had to adapt to these creatures they've learned to tame them and they've probably built their culture into maybe even some sort of like small demi dragon worshiping wyvern riders because you know without the wyvern riders you know they would fall to their deaths so i mean you yeah. know their gods could be based on these creatures and so you suddenly you start building up a culture and it's like okay they believe in speed they believe in fast attacking you know maybe they believe in fearlessness mm-hmm. so you know bravery could be a very big part of them yeah so i think you know it's it's when you start building it up like all the pieces begin to and this is how i built my ironhead chronicles world is that all the pieces just start fitting in together like slot by slot until it's like oh this is what i have this is my group this is my culture and there you go awesome what you just did mike is pretty amazing because what you just did is you started with an actual real world culture and then you started adding some certain things or changing some certain things until you stopped asking yourself, okay, now what would the Mongols do? And started asking yourselves, okay, what would the river, Wyvern Riders do? Right. And so the, it became its own culture. And from that moment on, it, in my opinion at least, it lost all recognition of any wor- real-world culture and became its own thing. Yep. Uh, I mean, that's kind of what Tolkien did, like with the uh, the Riders of Rohan. They, I mean, they, they were, you know, they were basically the, the Norse, you know. Um, uh, but they weren't seafaring. They were they lived in the plains, yeah. so the horses were the thing, not not their longboats. So it, you know they they he took that that culture as a basis and sort of you know to okay so what if what if the Norse lived on on these plains? What would they what would they be like? So uh, that's that's a great example from from you know literature. I think yeah, that's awesome. Actually, I, I, there's a lot of that too um, in. In fiction, especially, you know, now I'm reading a book called The the Tales of the Atori, mm-hmm. which is uh, a fantasy setting, but it's very much like feudal Japan mm-hmm. uh, to the point where if you're not paying attention and you didn't know it was a fantasy setting, you'd probably think it was happening in Japan. <laughs> and uh, there are a lot of fiction 
uh, works of fiction like that that even you know involve magic uh, and you know magical cultures and fantastical things mm. that are based completely on Japanese culture or yeah. Celtic culture or you know Roman culture even so um, I think that in a way do you think sometimes it's okay for people to know well this is this is Roman you know I, I know this but it, it, without it taking away from the immersion of the story I, I don't think this is, um, I was thinking about this the other day when we, when we were talking about something like this and and it is really really hard to come up with a, a, an, an entirely brand new culture you know from scratch you know just out of whole cloth and, yeah. and come up with a, a, a new culture that's not anything like anything we know because we almost have to base it on something we know even if it's a hybrid of different cultures that we throw together or aspects of them because it's just um, well I, sh- I, sh- I should you know uh, put a caveat in there and that if you want it to be relatable to the players you know I mean you could maybe yeah. come up with something really really weird enough and, and out there um, but it's going to be so weird that the players aren't going to be able to relate to it and so that that's that you know you're going to run into that problem I don't think there's anything wrong with with it being you know kind of superficially resembling the culture because once you get in once you get into it and start you know actually playing in it it's it's going to take on a life of its own anyway and then you can start adding more details that kind of begin to begin to separate it from that and and you know make it its own yeah i I definitely couldn't agree more and i mean one of the things also uh, that i've noticed there's a lot of is i mean especially throughout world and ancient history is cultural diffusion um you know you have a lot of different cultures kind of inspiring other cultures so you see a lot in their architecture in their literature in their playwrights in their even in their food and beverage uh, is is very much inspired from other places so so it you know it's not surprising that oh yes in this region it's like this in this region it's like this and then if you want to really kind of try to wow yourself you know try and like maybe in one region in between the one that's you know, sort of Egyptian themed and the one that's sort of Roman themed, there's this weird mix of the two, you know, so mm. instead, you know, instead, so now you have like beautiful, you know, massive pyramids made out of uh, just columns and each one of these columns, you know, like tells like a different story, like almost like an obelisk or instead of just like a massive stele made out of, you know, fill in the blank there. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. you know, and, and then just use that, and and it, as it does make sense because when you have two pushing, you know, two vastly strong pushing cultures, you're gonna have bits and pieces from each one. You know, you'll have like barley bread from the Egyptian era, area, and you'll have maybe lots of lamb and and pork from you know from this kind of like Romanesque kind of kind of a stage mm-hmm. where they maybe wouldn't eat that up there. You know, so it's it's that's where the cultural diversity kind of gets really interesting and you can really tweak things to make it more your own. Yeah. Yeah. And there's a lot, to, really cool. and there's a lot to research too. I mean, um, uh, there's, there's so much history that most people are not, are not aware of, you know, l- little cultures here and there that grew that, that, uh, you know, that evolved and then, you know, faded into, you know, Talk about the Germanic tribes uh, that that were constantly fighting against the Romans. You know, yeah, the, yeah. We don't we don't even know where those borders were because you know they were they ended up 
being on kind of the losing end of something. Right, right. And I mean, it just just all over all over the world, there were, you know, small cultures here and there that that no that the average person wouldn't have heard of, or events that mm-hmm. people would not necessarily have heard of. Um, certainly, certainly a lot of details that that they might not, uh, unless they're a historian who specializes in that particular period. Yeah, and, and you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna throw this out there, and I'm pretty sure I've thrown this out there like on twenty to twenty five percent of every of all the roll up and die episodes. <laughs> but if you're listening to this and you still haven't listened to Hardcore History, the podcast by Dan Carlin, <laughs> you really need to do that after this episode. Yeah, I'm serious. Yeah. It's brilliant. It's amazing. And one of the questions uh, that we got on our uh, Facebook page that, you know, doesn't actually have a lot of likes, but it's one of my favorites is, you know, what are some examples of more obscure parts of history that could be included without everyone at the table realizing you're using something like, oh, this is just the Battle of Psalm or this is basically just the Iliad, you know? Um, yeah. Listen, listen to hardcore history. Otherwise, consume history. Yeah. And and the reason I, I mention hardcore history is because that's what he does. He talks about obscure parts <clears throat> of history. He mm-hmm. talks about how the people on the ground felt as they were fighting elephants with spears in the Punic Wars. I mean, just yeah. really uh, getting into the heart of it. And it's ultra inspiring for a game. And um, uh, so, yes, listen to that. Absolutely. You guys too. <laughs> now, I, I think another thing too uh, would be even in movies, um, there was actually a, a point in time where I was getting a bit of a, I don't know, a bit of a dry spell in my inspiration. And I watched this movie and I would highly encourage that if, if no one has watched this movie, watch it. And it's called, if memory serves me correctly, The Last Night. And it's with uh, Clive Owen, because, oh, uh, Morgan Freeman. So, I mean, already, you know, already it's awesome. Yes. And it's this <laughs> beautiful East meets Western culture, um, kind of n- no magic, but just fantasy movie. And it's beautifully done. The... Uh, the the cultures like the way they did it was the like the culture just meshed so beautifully that you had this like very high honor um especially you know you've seen in like like the east in the far east where this you know this this code of honor this almost um bushido code uh is there but then it's mixed with this like western kind of uh nobility serfdom and it's a just a, an amazing an amazing movie, mm. and I would highly suggest watching it. Is it Night with an N or with a K? K. Uh, with a K. K, yeah. Awesome. Cool. Have you seen it, Alex? No, no. I wrote it down, though, so I'm going to take a look. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to watch it soon. I, I would watch it tonight, but we're going to watch Daredevil. Oh, I just realized <laughs> something. Um, wait, h- how does it work when someone doesn't see a movie that you don't or, or something like oh. that. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody's, yeah, everyone's got to take a drink because okay, I, I don't, I've never seen, hey, cheers, <laughs> because I've never seen The Last Night. And I, uh, if I had seen it, then everyone would need to chug their drinks. Uh, over the past few episodes, we've been begging people to send in new drinking rule, drinking game rules, but nobody's done it. Carl Bolthouse laid the foundation of this first episode, but no one's done it. Um but uh, we haven't talked about hot and ready's in a long time. We haven't. Uh, we need um, to get back to our roots, man. 
<laughs> I know. We got it. Yeah. <laughs> Want to talk about Battlestar Galactica for 30 minutes? <laughs> and just bleep a, bleep a bunch of shit out? Right. Oh, that <laughs> really pissed some that, people that, off? That, that, that a lot of people, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, it's because not only did I bleep stuff out, but I used the most annoying monophonic synthesizer to do it, <laughs> and we did it for like 10 minutes straight. So that's my bad. <laughs> a little bit sorry. Yeah, that, that, that would definitely be uh, kind of a thing. We, we, were, we um, were new. But, it was our infancy. But hey, we're you know new, what? Yeah. I've never seen Battlestar Galactica. There you go. Oh, wow. So, nah. yeah. Never. Ch- oh, my gosh. Mike, I know, you got to. Mm. You got to. I, 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 and I mean that as a friend. I mean that as a friend. You got to. I will send you the viewing order. And you get on Netflix or whatever, and you watch those episodes because that show changed you know, my life. Yeah, I mean, it was funny because for the longest time, I didn't, I didn't want to. I, I mean, I grew up in the original Battlestar Galactica, so there, there was there was some of that going on. But you know, when I when I when I first heard, you know, about what their take on the Cylons, I won't I won't say anything because that could spoil it. But um, when I first heard the, the take on the Cylons, I I, I kind of like, oh no, come on, no. That, that's that's not gonna work, you know. And it just, you know, mm-hmm. I, I I was really down on it for a long time, and then finally I decided to just sit down and watch the uh, the the pilot episode, and and I was, and I was like, this is the best show ever. Yeah, <laughs> and, I was, and, I was, and I was hooked. It's yeah, so good. So. And one of the things that it does <laughs> to kind of reach back in time a little bit and 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 grab people by the roots is the technology level of the Galactica is low. Like it's yeah, very low tech because yeah. the captain says, nope, I don't want any wireless communications. Every phone has to be corded in every, I mean, it's really, well, yeah. Cause that's neat. how the Cylons fight. They, they, they can, they can hack a, hack a battle star. Exactly. In no time, so <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> you, you want, so you want it's just brilliant. Um, yeah. So yeah. Uh. And, and that's actually a really, I'm actually glad you brought that up because that's a really interesting uh, view of technology going backwards. Mm. Uh, and and oh, that yeah. being said, I mean, you know, if let's say, for example, uh, let's say, for example, and maybe a player might want to do this. I don't know if we're allowed to do this in the podcast or not. But let's say a player wanted to uh, play a post-apocalyptic game. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I've seen quite a few of those being uh, being advertised. Yeah. Really cool idea. But, you know, almost in a, I mean, I hate to go like, you know, just go in the kind of the Numenera fashion. But what if... You know, it's a post-apocalyptic game. So, uh, civilization is just starting to be rebuilt, but it's built on the bones of the old, mm-hmm. where you have this, you know, a lot of this high technology that's actually buried underground, maybe under, you know, a cataclysmic earthquake or, you know, flooding or something. And now, you know, people are reverting back to bows and arrows. And I mean, even if it was a there was a, a some type of natural disaster where a certain type of radiation or something to that effect, you know, player and GM fiat where, you know, people are, some people sensitive to it became, you know, mm. get, got these powers where it just seems like magic, you know, yeah. pyrokinesis and telekinesis and, you know, things like that. So, you know, I think that's entirely kind of a very cool idea unto its own. Well, that, that also brings up another interesting thing thinking about history and how to bring it into you know real history and how to bring it into your game um uh, uh, the thinking about what happens when different technology levels clash i mean we, that's something that we've seen throughout history yeah. where 
you know, uh, uh, different, you know, when you, when you when you have very different levels of technology coming into contact with each other suddenly and, and, and what kind of effect that has, um, in, in my world, I had the case where there was this one, uh, empire that, that completely abhorred magic. It was, it was offensive to them. It was, it was against their religion and they, they, they were, they wanted to wipe out all magic using people. And, um, and so that, that created a, a, you know, ended up a massive war that took place based, you know, based on that. So, I mean, you can have all sorts of, um, uh, things happening, you know, with relation to that. Also, you know, you can also think about bringing in diseases and so forth, which that's, again, that's something else we've seen anytime, um, you know, civilizations have collided, even if they're on par technologically, if they've, if they've been separated by continents, then they can begin exchanging diseases and, and plagues that, yeah. you know, have, they've, they've become immune to, but now this, these other people are not, you know, so there's all kinds yep. of things you can look at there. Think about the, the English, you know, going into <clears throat> what's now called Zimbabwe, but at the time I think it was Rhodesia, uh, bringing the Ma- Maxim gun, you know, mm-hmm. to Africa. Yeah. And I mean, that is a great example of technologies clashing and just, oh. you know, obliterating thinking, a, a whole how about this? group of people. Say, say you had, now taking it to a, you know, into a D&D world, suppose you had to these two continents that have never come into contact for some reason. And now they're starting to come in contact, but one only uses arcane magic while the other one only uses divine magic. You know, maybe they have that sort of, uh, that sort of schism, you know, um, uh, that's awesome. Or, you know, other, you know, even incompatible types of magic or, you know, maybe, maybe what is Imagine the inquisitions. (laughs) Yeah. Imagine the inquisitions that that would happen inside the divine, you know, continent or nation, you know, against arcane magic. Yeah, that's right. You you, you could look, you could look to the, uh, the dark ages and the witch hunts and, and, um, yes, you know, your players won't expect the Spanish inquisition. Never. (laughs) Nobody expects the Spanish inquisition. (laughs) Nobody expects it. You were just waiting for that segue, weren't you? (laughs) Well, actually, what I was waiting for is those doors behind you to just burst open, and <laughs> nobody expects the Spanish Inquisition. Nobody. <laughs> All right, I found I found our audio clip for the beginning. Anyway, oh cool. I was gonna say <laughs> that's the. Uh, <laughs> I think we did it. There's no reason to ever do another roll up and die episode. We finally said it, Alex. It's been our so secret. Does that mean? Goal. Does that mean that we've jumped the shark? Yep. Is that it's over. It, yep. It's just, now we got it. Right. Yep. <laughs> um, so what are some other examples before we get to the question and the idea yeah. that you can steal? What are some, if you guys want to just go around a couple times, yeah. you know, Alex to Mike to me and choose something out of history that is, uh, that you can put into your game and kind of describe how you'd put it in your game. Maybe this will be our idea you can steal or something if you want. Let's do it. Let's do it okay. first, though. Mike or Alex, go ahead. Oh, okay. Um, I like the idea of. Uh, um, uh, let me see. I'm trying to think of something more more obscure than uh, than you know something uh, uh, typical. Uh, yeah, because well, we can't be like yo. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, no, I'll pass. I'll come back to me. All right, cool. Mike, you, you, you good? Yeah, sure. 
One thing I find really interesting is that not a lot of games, at least none that I've seen, and I'd like everyone who either who doesn't know who I am or who's never met me, uh, I'd just like a little bit about myself. I've been playing for about a year and two months. That is my is my entirety. <laughs> that is the entirety of my uh, experience with tabletop RPGs. You're a bastard. I, I am you know that? New. You bastard. You're, you're a bad I, I know I am. I'm I am a fraud and a charlatan and a no. and a handsome individual. We had the same conversation. <laughs> we had the same conversation about Nate Vanderzee. Yeah. I mean, he'd been playing for a, a year, and we're like, "You, you bastard! Why are you so good? Why did it take me half my life?" Uh, but you know what, though, I've had excellent teachers, and I'm sitting in a chat with two of them right now. So there is that. Wait, where? <laughs> I don't see him. Did it? Oh, stupid. I'm sorry. What's your What's your historical thing, Mike? <laughs> so one thing I, I find that uh, not a lot of games have done is, at least that I've seen, is archaeology. Mm. Archaeologists going in and digging things up. And one thing that recently, well, actually, I'd say about four or five years ago, is that in Iraq there, and I, I mentioned this this old ancient city. It's called Ur. Yeah. And it was on a river mm-hmm. called the Chaldees. Inside, they found an ancient Sumerian tablet, which was one of the first recorded recipes for beer. Mm. And they found this, and a, an American brewer by the name of uh, Dogfish Head decided to reproduce it, except without all of the poisonous, extremely poisonous <laughs> ingredients that are inside there, like yeah. foxglove and nightshade and things, um, <laughs> and, and made it. So, you know... Why not throw archaeology inside your game? Someone digs up something like, let's say, this recipe, but it turns out maybe it's not a recipe. Maybe it's it's the the secret of building the Damascus steel, mm. one of the strongest steels in the world. It is, and it is sought after. And maybe in your world you have like almost like a, a two competing blacksmith consortiums that are fighting like trying to murder each other to try and take this this recipe for the ultimate steel the ultimate sword the the strongest mace and maybe you realize upon reading it taking to to a lore master that man if you we use this it's the you know this is it's 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 an infernal recipe mm-hmm. for like for hell steel you know, like like by using this, and every time we kill it, we're sending souls down to the nine hells mm. that are giving demons and devils more power until they come over <laughs> and take over. And that's how this the first this first world was just destroyed. That's awesome. Yeah, that's cool. Like steal uh, that, kids. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like like, what if they found an item or? gunpowder or Mm -hmm. like something that is world changing you're going to have groups of people that want that you're going to have a group of people that who's sworn to protect that secret like they're going to make sure nobody gets it you know you're going to that's plot hooks galore so yeah that's awesome yeah so okay so i i have i have something i think i think what would be kind of cool to do and this goes against kind of all my previous uh rules of of running a fantasy setting but it might be really neat to start off a campaign where, you know, you start off the players in a, you know, in, a, in almost your, almost your stereotypical D and D world, you know, uh, medievalish kind of setting and so forth like that, and then, um, with you know, within the first, 
you know, four sessions or so, um, there, there's, you know, word begins to come in of these new, these new visitors from across the sea. And it's, um, some, something much higher technology. So, you know, so maybe it's, um, maybe not quite in the level of, you know, World War One, but certainly, you know, much more advanced, um, just suddenly just coming over here and, and, and invading, going, you know, uh, be coming for resources or, um, you know, expansion or, or, or whatever it happens to be. But just that, uh, introducing that kind of clash of, of, uh, of, you know, different technology levels. I think that's, uh, that, that could become really interesting and it would, uh, it would certainly be, a a, a a surprise in, in in most settings like that. I think that's awesome. I, I, actually, it's interesting. Mine was going to be what I did is I went to Wikipedia and I clicked on history, and the first selected article was the Plymouth Colony. So I was actually going to uh, do something very similar to that, <laughs> Alex. I was going to say, <laughs> you know, imagine you know your your players know the world like the back of their hand, and all of a sudden there's a new colony that rises up, uh, and it's held by a a, a force that is more technologically advanced and in a way you're kind of like the native americans uh mm, in this situation yeah. and you know it's okay though they're you know they're coming in peace and you know uh, and <laughs> and you can kind of just i mean just go into wikipedia <clears throat> clicking on history and, and getting some inspiration yeah. there yeah no, um no. one of the other uh things that I had been thinking about recently is I just finished the the episode of Hardcore History about the Punic Wars and you know there there are three Punic Wars right uh, mm-hmm. and you know the first one is basically you know kind of a, a war over Sicily small war second one is when Hannibal freaking crosses the Alps and is running <laughs> around Italy mainland yeah. for a while and and uh, <laughs> yeah, hell yeah dude I mean dude's a baller <laughs> and and then the third one is basically the the disarming and invasion and ultimate destruction of the city of Carthage and Carthage as a whole. Mm-hmm. Now, two of those wars I kind of got inspiration from. In my current game, The Winds of Sursaline, there's uh, an army of mountain dwarves, uh, or, well, yeah, mountain dwarves that are currently heading toward a, a town that the elves have taken over or are working on mm-hmm. taking over. And their goal is to take it back for the dwarves because this war has been sparked. But on their way there, they have to cross through this magical forest that's just crazy. It's called, you know, it, the Crimson Wood or the Anderwood. And it's, uh, I mean, it's it's dangerous as hell. And I'm really channeling Hannibal crossing mm-hmm. the Alps into this whole army. I mean, by the time they get there, it's going to be halfway dead. You know, I mean, yeah. not everybody's going to make it. And, you know, people aren't going to think, oh, that's Hannibal crossing the Alps. But it just inspired this plot element. You know, these people Mm. are going to cross this forest and not everyone's going to make it. Um, Another thing is, uh, I would like to run a one-shot sometime this year, a one-shot game online about the fall of Carthage. And Mm. the way, you know, the Romans besieged Carthage for... I think it was, I mean, it was, it was many, many months. It might've been over a year and it was, it was just a a huge siege. And then what happened is, uh, I guess, according to writings, the Romans found a a nearby tower 
that could that was actually taller than the walls of Carthage mm-hmm. and constructed a, a bridge from the tower to the walls so they could cross over. <laughs> and that's how the Romans got into Carthage and just started tearing things up. And I would love to start an actual historical one shot that takes place at the fall of Carthage where the people, the players play Roman soldiers that are, and, and the one shot would begin while they're crossing that bridge into Carthage. Mm-hmm. And, and then it's just, you know, three hours of game from that point. So, um, you know, I nice. think that's more of a direct way to infuse history <clears throat> into a game, but mm-hmm. it sure seems like it's going to be fun, at least for me. <laughs> Dibs. Yeah. All right. You're in. You're in, Mike. You're in it. Done and done. So, uh, win it. yeah. So you guys want to take one more circle and do that again before doing the, the question? Yeah. That'd work for me. Yeah. How about what if I, what if I said, what if I said, um, the, what if I said c- colonial expansion? Well, yeah, I mean, actually, uh, what might what might be kind of cool is kind of kind of kind of like the 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 fall of the fall of an empire. Um, mm-hmm. So having you know having your your campaign set in a in in a place that's sort of the, at the height of its civilization, something like the Roman Empire or uh, you know something akin to it, and just word is spreading of all the, of all these wars that are being. You know, funded at, at all of its borders as as um, as new enemies keep cropping up. You know, almost sensing its um, the end of its life, and uh, you know the 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 part. You know, the players are basically you know part of the civilization, but they they they're beginning to see see it sort of be, begin crumbling around them, and they hear you know of of outlying towns and so forth being sacked, and and uh, people who are. Uh, significant parts in the government being assassinated and and just you know it's it's just sort of crumbling around them. I think that would be kind of an, an interesting setting to have for uh, just uh, even if it's just in the background, but it'll also offer opportunities to for creating you know interesting adventures and so forth. Yeah, and there's plenty of the drop from throughout that. history as well. You know, uh, I mean Rome Rome is the most obvious, but there's uh, you know civilizations of Syrians <laughs> risen and fallen. All over the place. So, now I like that, and especially if you're if you're adding that everywhere. You know, instead of just saying, "All right, players, uh, just let's just imagine that civilization's crumbling around you." No, no, you're walking on the road and you see people who have been hanged on the side of the road. You know, right? Uh, you know, it, p- because there's a war happening, you know, or an inquisition or something. You you see starving people everywhere. You know, you uh, um. You know the beggars have stopped asking for money because there is none to be gained. You know they've, you know people have are starting to loot things. You know everywhere you go, yeah. you know it, it's, you know you got to be armed. You know, it just uh, that whole feel would be a really cool place to play a game. Well, yeah, I mean, and, and instead of just having an encounter on the road of you know uh, meeting some merchants or something, you meet this this line of of thousands of refugees coming from the north because the city has just fallen to barbarians. You know coming down from the mountains. Uh, yeah. yeah, that sort of thing. So, and what if in the chaos, you know, people, you know, you're waiting for a leader to rise up to to take control. What <laughs> if in the midst of the chaos, the players become, you know, you should be, you should be the the rulers. You know, you'll make good decisions. You know, you're not one man. You're you're five. You're five. So you could lead us. And then, oh crap, you know. That's right, yeah. I mean, I think that'd be a fun game to start. Definitely. All right, Mike. So, uh, 
one thing I'd like to I I one game I would like to play or at least uh, attempt to is a very kind of a political game, uh, and the idea that I'm thinking of is more along the lines of the uh, Holy Roman Empire. Uh, so nice. back in the late Dark Ages, early Middle Ages, I guess actually up until the 18th century when it was when it just became a position, the Holy Roman Empire always had an elective monarchy where you had uh, a ruler but a ruler that was elected amongst these powerful nobles and you know one thing the the players could get themselves into or at least involved in is um, kind of either an assassination or a coup attempt Um, maybe each one of them is a representative of a noble that is trying to be elected when um, kind of a, a completely different noble just comes in and ambushes the lot of them and just try, and just slaughters them to a man to take away all of his rivals in one shot. Yeah. But it uncovers a plot because is it really him? Yeah. Maybe maybe it's yet another another uh, noble, another rival, or another you know possible player. And then the players, you know, their nobles are all slaughtered, dead or dying. And they all have to come together, even though they don't like each other. And as a DM, you know, you can sit there and say, okay, listen, this is, you know, your noble house is amazing because of this. And let me tell you why the other noble houses, why the other representatives are jerks. Why they suck. Why they suck. Because, and then you just fill their heads full of this lore before you get in the game. So when all the players come in... And say, oh, you guys just, you know, you guys want to meet each other, you know, just stay for drinks. This is a, you know, peaceful thing. Oh, I'm a representative of this guy. Oh. And you, you'll <laughs> be able to see that player immersion just like that. Because you've actually turned all the players semi against each other. Because they don't, mm. they already know. It's like, oh, yeah. Yeah, you're <laughs> from that awesome. noble that likes to bathe in the blood of, like, kittens. <laughs> Such a dick. You prefer you know? wine to ale, you imbecile. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, I know you. You like to pop your ruffled collar. Get out of here. You know, Get out of here, Chaz. Yeah, that's right. Bro, Chevsky, get out. <laughs> no, I love that, man. I love it. And, and uh, you know, you set your players up for a really uncomfortable situation. I mean, that campaign might turn into a one-shot game real fast, but, but that'll be <laughs> awesome. I, I, and I think when you do it, dibs. So. Oh, definitely, <laughs> it, it, and and that that right there is just it's just the little things that you can just add to it to kind of get your players immersed right away. Yeah. So so yep. all of a sudden, all of a sudden, even though the, you know, you tell the players, okay, you, you know, you guys are representative of different noble houses, but you know, obviously, you're coming together for a reason, and and that's one good great thing about players suspension of disbelief. So if you feel like you're building yourself a culture up, where it's like, oh, this sounds too much like. You know what? Don't even worry about it, because when you're with a good, when you're with a group of players and you guys all get along, the players will suspend their their disbelief. Yeah. Yes. And and they will they will roll with it. Yeah. Pardon the pun. <laughs> I don't know how many times that pun's been used, but <laughs> probably at least forty times. That's Maybe a, now forty-one. Forty-one. Well, you know, forty episodes. Um, I, and I think the the last thing I wanted to say is you reminded me. I I was going to talk about the Chester City Walls or something uh, in in I think it's in, in England, uh, Mike. But you brought up 
the Holy Roman Empire. And so I immediately jumped to, I play a lot of Crusader Kings too. And Mike, I think you do as well uh, or have. Yeah. <laughs> and I play a lot on what people call noob Island, which is Ireland. And I play, I, I <laughs> Mike's, my, you can't see not, him, but Mike's saying no. Not anymore. They patched it. Ireland is not easy to start on because you start at virtually a tech lower. And you, know, and you have to fight so hard to try and build it back <laughs> up again. That makes sense because I keep getting my ass kicked now. <laughs> but but what I was thinking is I started I can't remember the uh, I'm 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 a lot of people who play are gonna hate me for this but uh, I can't remember what my uh, what my duke is called but um, basically he uh, is, has a father who runs this duchy of two provinces and when his father dies he becomes the owner of these mm. two provinces uh, kind of on the southeast coast of Ireland and. I, I was thinking when I was playing this game, I was thinking, what would the brother think? Like, would the brother be like, oh, yeah, cool, dope. My big brother can just control everything. Yeah, sure, I'll marry who you want me to marry. And part of me is like, man, I want to build this in a fantasy setting and have it just be a backdrop. You know, not even have the players necessarily meet these two brothers, but just be in this setting where there's so much cold tension between these, uh, you know, political families or this one political family. Mm. So, you know, I highly recommend grand strategy games for that sort of inspiration. <laughs> oh, definitely. Um, even if you want to run, like let's say you wanted to run kind of a, an Ironhead style. Maybe you wanted to run it in Victorian England or some of that effect. Uh, Vic, you know, it, it, there's a lot of games out there uh, that really give you that inspiration of just providing kind of a beautiful backdrop. Uh, a game that I really enjoyed was Dishonored. Uh, you know, for the, for the, not just only for the artistic style, but the story mm. was beautiful. The decisions you made, you know, everything just kind of coalesced in the world and became either better or worse, depending on what you chose chosen to do. Um, there are tons, uh, you know, I mean, obviously running, you know, if you want to run Call of Cthulhu in that kind of time period, mm -hmm. that time period fits very well with it. Uh, you know, even steampunk, you know, things like that. There, there are a host of great, uh, video games and movies and TV. Um, even though it was a, it was a terrible movie, and if you guys liked it, I'm sorry. But uh, the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, <laughs> I haven't seen it, had a, a nice art style <clears throat> that maybe you could copy. Yeah, and that's probably <laughs> as far as you want to go with that movie. <laughs> that and that really cool car. Because let's be honest, it's like a 16, 16 wheel. Like when you have eight axles on a vehicle, you're doing something right. That's <laughs> you, You've taken it to the next level. That's right. Oh, yeah. <laughs> awesome. But, uh, yeah, so it's... Cool, cool. And um, we are approaching... Uh, well, actually, approaching. We've, we've gone beyond our hour limit, but we still have a question to answer. Yeah. So let's answer this question and then shut up for the people. Um, so they can get to playing their games and I don't know doing their taxes and what other whatever people do. Um, this question, actually, the one with the most likes, was not actually related to the subject, but it was a, it was a good question, uh, and maybe we can talk <laughs> about it uh, next episode. Actually, and I'll I'll uh, I'll bring it up to the guys sure. in the chat. Uh, but um, uh, this next question is from 
Oh my gosh, you taught me how to pronounce your name and I'm totally going to mess it up again. I, it's like Gert Jan Volp, I think. And I know that's incorrect because I know you told me before that I screwed it up and I just, I hope I didn't piss you off too much this time again. <laughs> Send me a message. Tell me how to pronounce it again. Um, okay. So basically this question is, how can you convey the culture in quote unquote barbaric tribes effectively? For example, Vikings had some of the richest cultures of ancient mm. times, but they are seen as raving, pillaging madmen. How can yeah. we work the cultural aspects in our own tribes? So how can you convey mm. the Vikings as, you know, they did pillage, you know, they did, you know, ravage sure. uh, the, the coasts of, of, you know, modern day England. Uh, how can you have that while simultaneously uh, including some of the rich and beautiful culture that is involved in in a barbaric tribe. Hmm. Well, I guess you want to learn as much about them as possible. I mean, most bar- most pe- most cultures that were labeled barbarians were labeled that by the by outsiders who didn't like them. <laughs> so, I mean, yeah, they they were they were people no different than 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 you and I. They were just as smart, just as clever, just as you know. Uh, thoughtful and feeling and you know they they were no they weren't any different than we are they had you know different ways different ways of doing things um but but that's really it so thinking of them as as people first you know and and not you know avoiding the stereotypes then i mean you want to learn as much about them as possible if as as a gm like if you're really going to like if if i should say for me if i'm if i'm really going to include a culture in my world, then, then, then I do some research into it. I want to know about it. Um, and, and, you know, learn, learn, learn some things about it. Make sure that the things they do are different than the things that the people, you know, in, in the, the player's culture do, do, you know, make sure, make sure it's different. So whether it's how they, how they eat, whether it's how they greet each other, whether it's how they, um, what they take offense to, you know, think about those kind of things, you know, what, what, what would offend them, you know, uh, mm-hmm. maybe shaking hands would offend <laughs> some, you know, um, maybe, uh, you know, uh, so eye contact. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, really, you know, find out about the culture and, and what they thought, because it's, it, you know, I guarantee you, if 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 you if you read about any so-called barbarian culture, you're going to find out that you know, like you were saying, that they had a very rich culture. They had songs, they had stories, they had. Um, if you can read their mythologies, that's a great way to delve into the into the minds of of the culture you're trying to emulate. Yeah, I was thinking too, Alex. That's that's an amazing uh, point. You know, learn about the culture, also. Give them a God to pray to, give them a spouse to cherish, and give them children to feed. Yeah. And automatically they lose the the monster feel. Because, you know, when you think barbarian yeah. Vikings or barbarian Germanic tribes invading oh, Rome, you right. think, oh, you know, exactly. These things, these people were monsters. And and the many Romans viewed them that way because yeah. they looked different. They were larger. They had mustaches. What a bunch of freaks. Mustaches? <laughs> Who has a mustache? I mean, well, then they're aliens in, yeah. in every sense of the word. Oh yeah, uh, one of my one of my favorite depictions of of the Norse was from uh, the Thirteenth Warrior. Um, 
I, I, I oh wait, I, is that and is that Antonio Banderas? Yeah, that that, is, that yeah. is one of my favorite movies. Chug your drinks. <laughs> Chug down, everyone. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, it, you know, th- there's just so much good in that movie. The fact that they weren't just the stereotypical um, Vikings. I, I love the fact that they all wear wore piecemeal armor that you know they had gotten from other cultures that they had raided. You know, that kind of thing. It was just little details like yeah. that. It's just. It was beautiful, and, that the, and the, awesome. the really cool part for me, it was based on a book um, by Michael Crichton, uh, "The Eaters of the Dead," and uh, he based it on an actual scroll uh, set of scrolls that were found, written by 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 an Arab who who wrote about his contact with the, these Northmen, you know, and 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 describing their ways and how you know how they were, and and so it was actually inspired by, you know. Um, you know, a real event, which makes makes it even cooler. I think that's the best. Those are, those are the best things, especially when you're infusing history, whether you're doing it directly or indirectly. Um, yeah. Really, really taking that inspiration. I mean, that's what we're talking about right now. That's awesome. Definitely. Uh, one actual group of people uh, that were also labeled barbarians uh, were the Picts yeah. of, uh, mm. of Scotland. And though a lot of people only thought of them as those people who painted themselves blue mm. and ran into battle naked, which... Damn right they did. They did, <laughs> and they did it well. That's and right. And I bet, a, I bet a lot of Romans not only walked away wounded, but also slightly emasculated, you know, whatever. <laughs> yes. And, but the thing is, like, one of the biggest things is what a lot of people don't really know about the Picts are, is their advanced stonework. Yeah. Uh, they actually reached the Iron Age and worked with iron tools before almost any other civilization. Yeah. They were way ahead of their time. The only thing they were not ahead in was the written language. They yeah. wrote nothing down. Everything mm-hmm. was oral tradition. Everything was handed down in <clears throat> just by speaking to each other. Mm-hmm. And, and that is such an interesting thing right there that you think and I mean I played a lot of Civilization 5 so it's like oh tech tree well I'm just going to advance this and this and this and this and it's all going to be in a big line you're just going to go through the tech tree and just you know become super powerful and transcend into another plane of existence but you look at this culture and this culture is amazing they had you know advanced metalworking blacksmithing they had uh, uh, amazing stonework which you can even see today some of the most beautiful and intricate carvings on stones sitting in the middle of the forest yeah but yet they couldn't write anything down because they had no written language. Yeah. All they were able to do was pass it down uh, orally. And that's, that is so amazing. And that just goes to show that, you know, these people were not just the, the savage, you know, blue-painted warriors that the Romans just, you know, fought and killed yeah. uh, in the highlands and, and, and all around uh, the British Isles. You know, these, these yeah. were a people and they mm-hmm. had a culture but they they didn't ha- it did they didn't have time to grow as a culture yeah which was really too bad and they were never you really know, conquered exactly. by the Romans entirely because uh, the Romans never made it that far north really they Nothing they kind of retreated leave. up into the <laughs> basically far into the far north and they they never really uh, uh, yeah. were taken out by the Romans and as an yeah. a, as a hobbyist historian Mike I think you know what what you said and this is not to do with RPGs but we'll, we'll close it out here but. One of the interesting things is how unfortunate things are when you study history. Like, oh, man, I wish 
like why did the library at Alexandria have to I burn know. down? And these are the <laughs> things that keep me up at night crying. Yeah, yeah. Why why couldn't the picts write? I mean, it's just oh gosh. So, uh, I mean, you know, either way, you know, whether whether or not any of this advice today helped you with your games, pick up a history book, pick up a history podcast, watch the last night. I mean, really, just dive into things that are historically significant you know even if they're fiction you know the last samurai is one of my favorite movies of all time but i'll get crucified if people you know hear that because they're <laughs> actual historians but you know really really dive into to actual history because um some of the stuff you really can't make up it's just it's That's just right. amazing so um so yeah All right, everybody, thank you very much for tuning in to Roll Up and Die, your historically significant RPG podcast. (laughs) My name is Barker. And my name is Alex, a.k.a. Captain Gothnog. And my name is Mike, a.k.a. Mike the Piper. And check out Mike on YouTube. Uh, His YouTube channel is Mike the Piper. You can also check him on the Tabletop RPG One-Shot group, the Absolute Tabletop official group. He is just the talk of the town. Uh, Check out his his online games. and. And uh, I think the most important thing, though, is, Mike, we got to get a Godspeed blah out of you. Uh, a, a what, sorry? You have to say into the microphone, as clearly or not clearly as you'd like, Godspeed blah. Godspeed blah. Perfect. Well done. <laughs> <laughs> This show has been produced by Roll Up and Die and is copyright 2016. It is owned by all three of the primary hosts. The games, movies, and other super awesome properties mentioned in this show are the property of their respective owners. Stealing sucks. You can find all three of the primary hosts on YouTube and other websites. Matt is at youtube.com slash a fistful of dice. Barker is at youtube.com slash be a better game master. And both of their work can be found at absolutetabletop.com. Captain Gothnog is at youtube.com slash Captain Gothnog. And his work can be found on DriveThruRPG via Critical Hit Publishing. Listeners are free to use this show in any way, shape, or form, as long as credit is provided to the Roll Up and Die RPG podcast. Look for other releases of the show on Facebook.com slash RollUpAndDie, iTunes, and RollUpAndDie.Podbean.com. Have a fantastic day, and as always, happy gaming. <laughs>